for joining us. You're listening to a Saturday edition of Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Harden not your hearts. Lord, I lift up to you this message. It's been a very painful message for me. And I pray that as I share your word, your conviction will also fall in my brother's and sister's heart. And that it will be a word that will bring healing and new life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Hebrews, the third chapter, beginning with verse 7. Hebrews, the third chapter, beginning with verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and I said their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This passage is difficult for me because as I began to read this in the normal course of my reading, I was not expecting a bomb to go off. It's as though when you're just reading, because you enjoy reading, and and the third and fourth chapters of Hebrews I often go to just to read because I so enjoy these two chapters of Scripture. They're a comfort to my heart. But as I turned to this and I read this, suddenly the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And he said, do you see? You have a choice. Hardening the heart is a choice that is made. Our hearts don't just grow hard. It doesn't happen by accident. Our hearts grow hard because we resist the word that the Lord is speaking to us. Our hearts grow hard when we say, no, I'm not going to do that. Was that really you, God? I didn't really hear from you, God. That was my indigestion. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to think my own thoughts. I'm going to do what I want to do. We deliberately choose when our hearts grow hard. Now, the problem is after we've deliberately chosen and we go on down the road, we forget what we chose, but our hearts remain hard. And so now we can say, oh, my heart is cold and my heart is hard. And I don't understand why my heart is so hard and cold. It's because of what happened back here. Deliberate choices that we made, actions that we took, and now we reap the harvest of a hard heart, and we don't understand why, and we say, I'm a victim. It's not fair that I should have this hard heart. God, why are you giving me this hard heart? God didn't give you the hard heart. 
You made the choice to have a hard heart. And now part of the agony that each of us must go through, say, Lord, I don't want this hard heart. I don't want this coldness in my spirit. What do I do to get rid of this? And that's what the washing of the word does. That's why we urge you to read the word, because as you read the word, it softens up that hardness. And it brings back to consciousness those choices, those vows, those decisions that we made back there. And as we remember those decisions, and as we remember those vows, we have another opportunity to soften our heart before God and not walk in hardness. As we learn the ways of God, he he grants that renewed grace. Today is the day of salvation. He renews that opportunity to say, I'm not going to harden my heart. Tonight I ask that as I share what the Holy Spirit has spoken to me, that you make the deliberate decision not to harden your heart. Now, let me just share what hardening your heart might look like tonight. I don't want to hear what Pastor Ray saying. I think I'll think about tomorrow. Your eyes turn glassy. You're thinking about tomorrow. You're thinking about yesterday. You're just determined you're not going to hear the word of God. That's deciding that you're going to harden your heart. You become preoccupied with someone else's behavior. And you say, look at them. They're hardening your heart. You're making a decision about where you're going to look and what you're going to think about. What you're going to plan. I've seen people come into the house of the Lord and pretend that they're taking notes but in fact, they're working on business. I've seen people take out their calculators in worship and begin to run some numbers on a business deal. They're hardening their hearts. So I ask you tonight, choose deliberately not to harden your heart that the word of God could penetrate Some of the things that I need to share with you have been very painful for me this week. But I pray in the sharing of them, you will not turn aside, but will keep your heart open. Part of what I've struggled with is saying, Lord, of what use is this ministry? Why should I continue to bang my head against the wall and expand every ounce of energy and beyond that which I have. Why should I continue to do that? Why should I engage in this battle? I want to engage in a battle that there's at least a chance of winning at. So I've pressed the Lord on this issue. He's taken me back to some earlier decisions that I made. And one of the decisions that I made was that I was going to be a winner.
I was going to be successful, and I was going to do something with my life. I stood beside a swimming pool, a swimming hole, rather, in a river, and I watched the guys as they drank their beer and acted crazy and jumped off the bridge and did all kinds of stupid things. I watched as these kids did this, and I stood there as a 10, 11-year-old boy, and I made a vow. And I said, I'll never be like these stupid farm boys. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go to seminary. And I'm going to do something with my life. Well, you would say on one side, there was a very wise young man. He was making decisions about his direction for life. Problem is, standing in that place and looking at these young people. I was making value judgments against them and setting my heart up in arrogance, saying, I will be better than you, and I will build a kingdom that will be more comfortable and much more respectable than what you're doing. There was no conviction of sin in my heart. I didn't even concern myself with whether they were sinning against God. I simply scorned them. And I said, I'll not be like them. I'm going to do something important with my life. And of course, the church fed right into that. And they said foolish things like, look at the young people in the congregation. There are leaders of tomorrow. Treat them like a leader today. Respect them. And so there was an attitude of coddling. There was an attitude of pampering. There was an attitude of permissive love that caused me as a child to avoid the tough discipline because everybody loved me and they thought I was the greatest and they said I could do anything I wanted to do. And I said, great, I'm on my way to do it. And God came. He said, no, you're not going to do it in my name. If you want to do it, go do it in your name. Well, these vows, these promises made to myself, these decisions to harden my heart, to be something, to be somebody, those things have flowed through my life. So I went to seminary, full scholarship. I said, great, they're paying me full scholarship. I'll get a job and I'll make more money. So when I leave seminary, I'm going to be driving my Mercedes and I'm going to have all new furniture for my house. That's what I did. Never giving a thought to the seminarians who were there at their own expense with no Form of support. Never thinking, share with them and help lift their burdens. In fact, those of us on scholarship kind of looked down on the poor dumb ones who could not get graduate school money. Arrogance. Hardening of heart. Sinning against God. 
So early in my life, I planted the seeds for success in the flesh. I was trained for success in the flesh. I was disciplined for success in the flesh, not for holiness, not for righteousness, not for self-sacrifice. Those things give me a hard heart. And now I've recognized that those things have to become conscious. And new decisions have to be made. New habits have to be formed. Habits under the disciplining hand of the Holy Spirit. So that I've finished dinner and Jan has gone And I think to myself, you know, I need a little bit of sweet. I know in the cupboard there's a bag of of M&M's chocolate-covered peanuts. I know I could go in, and so I'm on my way to the cupboard to pull out those, those candies because I just have a taste for something sweet in my mouth. It's my house. It's my candy. It's my cupboard. I deserve it. So I'm on my way, and as, I, as I'm pouring out these chocolate candies into my hand, the Holy Spirit says to me, leave them alone. And I immediately think to myself, I'm getting neurotic. That's not the Lord. He doesn't care if I have a few chocolate-covered peanuts. Ah, I won't take as many. I'll just take half as many. So I walk away with those chocolate-covered peanuts, eating them as I sit down to read my Bible. And the Holy Spirit says to me, you will fast tomorrow, and you will not touch those again. And I say, Lord, that was you. Nothing. The Lord is not willing to allow me to harden my heart in even the smallest of areas. Now, I'm not telling you not to eat chocolate-covered M&Ms. But I'm telling you that for me in my life, at this stage, the Holy Spirit has said, leave them alone. I'm going to leave them alone. I cannot choose to harden my heart against the Holy Spirit's whispered commands in my heart. I cannot afford to do that because if I do, I'll sit down and I'll begin to read the word and there will be a veil over my face. And his presence will be absent. And I'll gain wonderful information so that I can preach better sermons and be on my success quest and walk in the flesh. I almost titled this sermon, Casting Off the Flesh, because that's really what it's about, the decision to cast off the flesh. Now, if you go with me to Psalm 37... Psalm 37 
it opens with verse 1, do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. The word fret, it's a simple English word. It simply means to rub and chafe until raw. And the Lord is saying, don't rub yourself raw because of evil men. And I said, Lord, what are you talking about? He said, you know that eyeing of other men and seeing how successful they are and then saying, I have a right to do that too. That eyeing of that wicked man and seeing that everything he turns his hand to is a Midas touch of gold. But everything that I turn my hand to has a wait sign on it and a do not touch sign on it. And so I say, oh, look at that wicked man. God doesn't discipline him. He's letting him do all manner of things. His work is not useless. I mean, a dear friend goes and starts a business. Ten years later, he's a multimillionaire. Well, I lived those same ten years. And what have I accomplished? Well, I've gotten up each morning, gone to bed each night. That's what it feels like. Lord says, don't fret yourself over that evil man. He is going to wither and die. You're not. You see, if there's anything that could cause me to harden my heart against God, it would be his continual telling me, wait on me. I don't like to wait on anybody. For anything. I like people to keep their word and be on time. You tell me you're going to meet me at 3 o'clock for lunch. Great. I'll wait 10 minutes and then I'm gone. Yeah, be on time. Don't make me wait. You say, meet me at such and such a place. Pick me up there. I'll go to pick you up. If you're not there, 10 minutes, I'm out of there. Wait. I haven't understood the meaning of the word wait until I began to follow Jesus. And now he expects me to go into the prayer closet and sit before him for an hour and he doesn't come. He expects me to wait on him. And I say, Lord, if you're not going to show up in the prayer closet, why do I need to come? And Moses sat for a week on that mountaintop. Before God came, he knew what it was to wait on God. He made the decision not to harden his heart. Not to say it's useless to serve God. He wouldn't harden his heart. He would not follow the promptings of his spirit 
because he was following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Then the command comes. Verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. We would rather he would just say, trust in the Lord and do what you'd like. But he says, trust in the Lord and do good. Only good in the world is what God says. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. I don't want a pasture, I want a racetrack. Why do I want a pasture? I'm a racehorse. I'm a champion. Why do I want a pasture? You put old horses out to pasture. You put cows out to pasture. You don't put racehorses out to pasture. You bit on them. And the Lord says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and enjoy safe pasture. If you are going to stop fretting and trust in the Lord, the first thing the Lord will give you is pasture time. Pasture time. Hmm? Where not much excitement goes on. Don't see much happening. All you get's the grass. More grass. More grass. Wait on the Lord. Don't wiggle. Wait on the Lord. Stay in the pasture. Pastures are usually defined by fences. I don't like fences. If I'm going to be on a pasture, give me the freedom of roaming the west over the prairie. A man without fences and without boundaries. The unlimited access to freedom. See, these are the things that cause us to harden our hearts against God. Don't fence me in. Don't limit my options. I just want to be able to have some M&M peanuts when I want them. I just want to be able to say what I want to say and do what I want to do. And the Lord says, go to pasture. Get in the fence. Don't jump the fence. You can sail right over the fence. You can kick up the dust and be gone in a moment. Opportunity is knocking. And all you're doing is graying in the pasture. Living a useless life of quiet munching of grass when you have a heart for the racetrack. You want the roar of a, of a crowd. You want the smell of the fire. And all you get is the pasture, the birds, and the 
the grass. Now, do you want to harden your heart? Are you willing to wait on the Lord? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land. Enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself. That word delight is take the greatest of joy. Delight yourself. You take personal joy in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Now let's get right to it. You will never delight yourself in the Lord on the racetrack. You will never delight the Lord in the roar of approval from the crowd. You have to give up the taste for hot dogs and mustard. You have to give up the taste for the popcorn and the beer. And you've got to eat the food of God in the pasture. And as you do that, your taste desire changes. And this very thing, which is most hated, becomes the joy of your life. Because in the pasture, you begin to hear David saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What do you mean, I shall not want? I don't want the roar of the crowd. I don't want the approval of men. I don't want the love of others. I want Jesus. I don't want the symbols of success. At first, it's a watch. Then it's a gold watch. A ring. The clothes. The car. It's not all right to drive a General Motors car. Got to have the Beamer. Got to have the Mercedes. Got to have the Lamborghini. The Ferrari. Got to have the lifestyle. The house. The young man who, who was a headhunter was determined he'd make something of himself. And finally, he just got a telephone on his desk and he went to work and became a headhunter for himself. When I talked to him, Joe was clearing anywhere between fifteen and $30,000 a month. He was buying the furniture and he was buying the house. He had a different woman every night. He was living the life. Last time I talked to Joe, he said, you know, I think I'm becoming a Buddhist. He was hungry in his heart. Nothing satisfied his taste. He'd had all the fast cars and all the fast women. He'd had all the recognition. He'd known all the important people. He was, in the world's eyes, 
the winner. And he's on a spiritual quest after Buddhism because he's so empty and his heart is so broken. Look at what it says. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, if you delight yourself in the Lord, what is the desire of your heart? The Lord. If you delight yourself in status symbols, what is it that you will want? Status symbols. If you delight yourself in food, you just want more food. If you delight yourself in the Lord, if if the greatest joy whelming up in your heart is the Lord Jesus Christ, then you want the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is getting right at these issues of of a hardening of our heart. When we don't desire Jesus above everything else, it's because we're delighting ourselves in other people or other things. And our hearts are hard. Some of you have, have delighted yourself in your daydreams, in your imaginations. You have delighted yourself. And if you continue to delight yourself in those imaginations, they will probably come true. And then you'll be filled with darkness and given over to the evil one. So what today have you delighted yourself in? What have you delighted yourself in? Have you delighted yourself in the Lord? If so, he is prepared to give you the desire of your heart, which is more of Jesus. You understand what that means. Deeper pasture time. Deeper pasture time. It doesn't mean you now get to go to the crowds. It means pasture time. It means more time eating the word of God. It means more time seeking his face. It means more time waiting upon him. It means saying no to the candies. It means saying no to all of those things that come beseeching you to pick them up and delight yourself in them. Means saying, No, I will delight myself in the Lord my God, and in Him will be my joy and my freedom. Now, Jesus said this quite differently. He said, Except a seed of, fall into the ground and die, it cannot yield a harvest. But what He was saying in line with this passage is, until you're willing to go to pasture and stay there, you're not going to produce anything worthwhile for anybody. You're unfit bread to be broken by the Lord. You can't feed the crowd 
because no pastor time. See, we really have to make this decision about hardening our heart or not hardening our heart. So when the Lord speaks to us, quickly we step into it. Evan Robbins speaking about this issue and the issue of revival is very clear. Every doubtful habit must go. Now, he also said, obey promptly the commands of the Holy Spirit. But you know what I find? I find that often the Holy Spirit does not give me a command. Often I find the Holy Spirit says, I'd rather you wouldn't do that, Ray. I'd rather you wouldn't do that, Ray. I'd rather you wouldn't say that. He doesn't say, don't do it or I'm going to hit you with fire. He says, you know, why don't you just don't do that? Not as a command, but as an invitation or a question. Hmm? This giving up of every doubtful habit is in this area where you examine the habits of your life. For example, you know, your kids, what do you do when you get home from school? You do the same thing almost every night? That's a habit. Habits are useful. Habits allow us to go in neutral without thinking about everything that we do so that we can use our minds to think about what's really important. When I get up in the morning, I don't have to ask the question and spend 10 minutes pondering, shall I brush my teeth? No, I just go brush my teeth. I don't even think about it. In fact, sometimes I have to stop and say, did I brush my teeth this morning? Yes, my brain's on track. I did it. It's habit. That's just something I do. I never once have walked out of the house without being dressed. <laughs> It's a habit I have. Now, little children will run out of the house without any clothes on. Buck naked. They have no habit of clothing. They just go, okay. What's wrong, Mom? Hmm? Well, habits are not wrong. Habits are very helpful to us. The problem comes when those habits have been set in place by the hardening of our hearts. So now we're running on neutral. We're not even thinking about it. And we leap the fence and we're headed to the city without a second thought. We don't even have to think about leaving the pasture. We just leap the fence and we're on our way. That's our habit. Our habit is not to stay in the pasture. Our habit is to get out of the pasture as fast as we can. It takes a careful examination of every habit to say, what have my habits caused me to decide? And what habits need to be adjusted and changed 
so that they don't take me out of the pasture. And out of the delight of the Lord. When those habits are identified, they have to be dissolved. It's almost as though you have a cake of ice. You have to turn that cake of ice into water with heat. Ice does not change without heat. So you have to put it on the stove and you have to cook it. You have to put the fire under it and the ice melts. A new habit has to be formed and then it has to go in the freezer and the new habit has to be frozen up again. That sitting on the fire is painful. You don't want to just undo all of your habits or you'll have to start thinking about everything you do every minute of the day. Everything you have to think about, it'll drive you crazy. When the Holy Spirit comes, he says, get in the pasture. We're going to deal with the habits. Don't harden your heart against me. We're going to put you on the fire. We're going to turn to liquid some of these things that you have been hard-edged about in your life. One of those things for me I've already shared was that determined race to win. The Lord had to put a fire under me and tell me, okay, you said that your 40s would be your most productive years. You always look forward to being in your 40s because then you'd have the financial resources, you'd have the wisdom, you'd have the business strategy, and you'd be on your way. Okay, for your 40s, let's say I just take everything away from you. And for 10 years, I'm going to put you in the wilderness where you can't get out of the pasture. That's what he did to the children of Israel. Took them out of Egypt. Man, this wonderful crossing of the Red Sea, such a spectacular event. But guess what? There was no recrossing and going back to Egypt. They were stuck in the desert. Their hearts were not in the desert. Their hearts were still back in Egypt. But God trapped them in the pasture. Well, God trapped me in the pasture. I can't tell you how long I fought being in the pasture until finally today my joy is to be in the pasture. That's where I want to be. It's where I am tonight. It's where I live. That's my home. And he turns the heat up under me in the pasture. And he begins to change these habits. And so you can't walk that way and please me anymore, Ray. Become conscious. Don't harden your heart. Let this change process happen freely under the anointing and under the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't hold on to these old things. Let me take them from you. Let me break them off your life. He doesn't say, you have to change the habit. He said, let me change it for you. 
And of course, what he means is, let me turn the heat up under it and make it so painful you have to do something. And I say, Lord, isn't there an easier way? No. Turn the fire up higher. But he says, don't rub yourself raw over this deal. Don't fret. Don't work up an anxious state about what God is doing and keeping you in the pasture. Don't go rub up against the fence until you've made yourself sore. Some of you got some fence sores. You've been rubbing up against the wall. Seeing if there's a weak place where you can escape. The master has to come and put salve on the sores. And he says, stop fretting. Stop chafing. Stop pushing against my Holy Spirit. Don't harden your heart. He says, Commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way. It means give everything you have. Absolute, total agreement with God regarding your situation. This is what the pasture life is about. So that there's no longer any question about my following the bright city lights. There's no question about my running off and being a racehorse in the devil's camp. That's no longer an option. I've given that option up. I now live in the pasture. I now am in a place of rest and peace with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's breaking off me these old habits. Do you think it was by accident that Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And then he said, now go take his grave clothes off. Jesus could have brought him out without a grave clothes on. But he didn't come out that way. And you and I, when we're born again, could come out without any sin in our life. Doesn't work that way. Wouldn't it be great if he'd just say, there you are, you're free. Serve me. And, and by the way, you're out of here. Tomorrow morning, I'll send the train. We're going to heaven. <laughs> you know, I've said to the Lord so many times, why didn't you end this thing when you ascended from the cross? And the only answer I can find is his saying, I had to have a people demonstrate my blood was sufficient. I had to have a people before the universe who would reject the call of darkness, who would reject Satan, who would step into the light and who would be cleansed and washed and made whole by my blood so that there would be no question that it was the power of the blood. I say, thank you, Jesus. Trust in him. And he will do this. What will he do? He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. Now, wait a minute. You hear what this is saying? It's going to make your obedience shine 
so that wherever you go, there is a brilliance about you. There is a a presence of God flowing out of your life. Almost always when Jan and I are walking together in stores or in other places, we watch for people who have light on their faces. And as soon as we see someone with light on their face, we want to go talk with them. And we ask them questions. Do you know Jesus? And people look at you in the strangest manner and say, yes. Yes. It was on your face. Do you do that? Do you see people? And as soon as you see them, you know whether they're following Jesus. Or whether there's darkness in their lives and they've hardened their hearts against God and they're rejecting him. And part of my agony at the National Prayer Chapel, I've just struggled in the prayer closet with this, is I've said, Lord, why do some people come year after year to the National Prayer Chapel and darkness continues on their countenance? Is it that I'm not seeing And then slowly the sin unfolds. And you begin to see the hidden inner life that hardened their heart against God. Bitterness took over their spirit. Envy, jealousy, pride. It was there consuming them on the inside. And finally, what was there flowed out. Like the preacher who wasn't making very much money as a pastor, and so he was working on the docks with the, the lobsters, and he would go down and he would help pull the lobster pots off the boats, bring the lobsters in. One day as he was doing that, he, he was careless, and his finger went too close to that lobster, and it got a hold of it, and it pinched him. And out of his mouth flowed the foulest of cursing. He was utterly embarrassed. What what was inside finally came out. I pray tonight, you will not harden your heart against the Lord. But what is in your heart is of light. What is in your heart is no hardening of your heart against the pasture of the Holy Spirit, where he desires to feed us and cause us to delight in the presence of Jesus. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Well, what is your cause? Your cause is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not the injustice that has been done to you. It's not the wrongs done to you and your family that he's finally going to vindicate you so that your family will have to come and say, you know, you were right after all. No, this is not speaking about your vindication. This is speaking about the vindication of your cause, which is to delight yourself in the Lord, that he will give you the desires of your heart. 
He will vindicate that cause. Be still before the Lord. You know, you would think that at this point, I would be able to say, now you're ready to go. Now go for it. And the Lord comes back and he says, now be still. What do you mean be still? I've been in the pastor for 20 years. Moses said, what do you mean? I've been out here for 40 years. Be still, Moses. Be still, Moses. See, there's just not a still bone in my body. I'm going to tell on Pastor Jan. When she began to sit with me and study the scriptures, one of her first questions was, How can you stand to sit still so long and read? I'm a do person. (laughs) She just didn't want to sit still. There was work to be accomplished. She wanted to be up and going. Hey, I'll spend five minutes reading the scriptures, Ray. But don't ask me to sit here for four hours and read the scriptures. I'd go stir crazy. I said, okay, let's read for five minutes. And then off she'd go. Pretty soon she'd come up. What are you doing, Ray? You want to sit with me and read five minutes again? All right, I'll do five minutes. That's how Jan started. Five minutes was her max. After that, It was time to be up and moving. There was stuff to be done. Now, I haven't heard a sound in the house. I've been up since early. And I'm wondering, is Jan down in the office working? So I go searching for her. Guess where I find her? In the word, pray, reading. And I say to her, is that all you have to do all day? Where's breakfast? It's 12 o'clock. Do you know what joy that is to my heart? That the Lord would give us the gift of being in his presence, in his pasture. Delighting myself in the Lord. Now, there are times when he says, okay, stop reading. I have some assignments for you. Vacuum the house. Do the dishes. Lord, that's woman's work. Now, go vacuum the house. Jan needs it vacuumed. Lord, I don't like this pasture. Why can't I dress up in a suit? Go bring somebody to you. Let me go preach the word somewhere. I get an invitation to go preach at another church. I say, I'll take it to the Lord. Have your pastor contact me. I'll talk to the Lord about it. I go to the Lord. 
No. You're in the pasture. I say, Lord, show me. Is that you? And suddenly I have a vision of a shark with its mouth wide open coming right at me. And then I'm back. I said, Lord, that was you, wasn't it? That's what will happen to me if I start running after speaking engagements, speaking appointments. Shark is going to get me. Lord, I'm going to stay right here in your pasture. I'll stay here doing what you told me to do, even if it's vacuuming the floor. Do you understand what I'm saying to you tonight? The Lord wants you to come into his heart. And right now, we're not safe for him to bring into his heart. Because there's such destruction in our spirits. Anger, resentment, brittleness, ambition. The Lord is saying, I'm going to have to put you in pasture a while. There's some old habits that have to be changed. There's some new habits that have to be formed. There's some old understandings where you hardened your heart that have to be rejected. There's some new ones where you have to submit. Let me shape you the way I want to shape you. Let me use you as clay in my hands, and I'll accomplish the vessel for my service. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret. Do not rub yourself raw, worrying about when you're going to get out of the pasture. Don't rub yourself raw thinking, when is my turn going to come? When is my moment? Your moment has already passed. It's not going to come. It's Jesus' moment. It's the cross. It's the way of the cross. It's the righteousness of Jesus. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. Any of you get mad at the Lord for putting you in the pasture? The Lord's just saying to you, don't get mad. Because if you get mad, the fences go up higher. And the fire goes on harder. He's saying, I have you in my hand. Let me shape of you what I desire. And do not get angry. Turn from wrath. It leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. In other words, the pasture is going to become your real estate. And there a mansion is going to be built. A mansion will be built. That's what he's promising us. 
If a seed dies, it yields a great harvest. I want the harvest without the dying. And the Lord has said no. No. So when that anger begins to rise in our heart because of how we're being treated, because of the isolation we feel, because of the despair and the lack of productivity, the lack of accomplishments, we don't have that house, we don't have that car, we don't have that ministry, we don't have that whatever it is that you've set up in your mind to say, if I had that, I'd be something. If you don't have that, praise God, you don't have it. You'd have it and be on your way to hell. The Lord is saying to our hearts, turn away from your anger. That's hardening your heart. Anger is hardening your heart. Say, don't harden your heart. Don't fret. Fretting only leads to evil. And evil men will be cut off. I like verse 13. The Lord laughs at the wicked. For he knows their day is coming. Better, verse 16, the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Verse 23. I want you to get this picture. I've seen it so many times. Here's the... The corral. Horses are all in the corral. The ranchmen come and they climb up on that fence and they sit on top of that fence and hook their boots on the fence and, and they sit and they look at the horses as they're circling in the, in the corral. They're judging horse flesh. They're making decisions about how the horses look and how they'll be used, and some will be sent to market for dog food. Some will be used for breeding. Some will be used for workhorses. The boss will even choose the best for himself. Listen to this, verse 23. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. That word firm in the Greek, I'm sorry, in the Hebrew, literally means orders, prearranges, step by step, fixed, ordained by God. In other words, if the Lord delights in a man's way, he prearranges his steps. He orders his steps. He ordains his steps. So you see the Lord sitting on that corral around that pasture. And he's watching you. And he's seeing if you're delighting yourself in the Lord. 
or if you're fretting, if you're fighting, some will be dog food. Some will be chosen by the master for himself. He says, though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Verse 34, and we will close with this. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Emmanuel, wait for the Lord. Cinnamon, wait for the Lord. Don't wait for somebody to notice you and think you're somebody. Wait for the Lord. Isaac, wait for the Lord. Kevin, wait for the Lord. Keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. Now, let me summarize very quickly for you what the Lord has said to me. I don't have time to go further with this message. There's a great deal more I have on my heart. When I return, I'll go into it more in depth. But just very briefly, I'm going to give you the very heart kernel. The Holy Spirit has said to me, everything that you have done by your own power Every accomplishment you have made, everything you have acquired in your life by your own power, I'm in the process of destroying. Everything that you have gained by the flesh, I'm now in the process of taking from you and destroying. And soon a time will come in your life. And he said this to me. Soon a time will come in your life when all you will have will be what I have given you. Now delight yourself in me and do not harden your heart against me. Later we'll go through the New Testament passages of Scripture that say this exact thing. Matthew saying, every plant not planted by the Father will be pulled up at the end of time, at the judgment. The flesh counts for nothing. Only the spirit matters. Tonight, don't harden your hearts. Kids, don't harden your hearts against mom and dad. And their counsel, don't harden your hearts. 
Don't harden your hearts against Jesus who would say, wait in the pasture. Wait on the Lord. Feast on the Lord. He's enough. Don't harden your hearts against the Lord. Mighty God. I choose as a deliberate act of my will to not harden my heart against the pasture life. I choose not to harden my heart against your discipline. I choose not to harden my life against a total lack of productivity. But instead, I wait upon you. I delight myself in you. I praise your name. I worship you. Thank you, Jesus. I praise and honor you. I glorify you, Jesus. Mighty God of heaven, thank you. I pray in your name. Amen.